Gather round for the tale of D'Artagnan Featherweather, the godfather of grievance and grift. A name as grandiose as the man himself, yet laden with the irony that his plumage was more akin to that of a turkey than an eagle. Imagine, if you will, a Floridian Versailles, sprawling across acres as though the very earth yielded to its owner's narcissism. Each blade of grass was trimmed to perfection, a horticultural tribute to the man's obsessive need for control. Ivy wound its tendrils around marble columns with the same desperation that D'Artagnan clung to his delusions of grandeur. Let us delve into this Wednesday, a day as nondescript as any other, save for the simmering pot of schemes that bubbled within the confines of D'Artagnan's gilded lair. Ah, the throne. An outsized caricature of royal furnishing, as if someone had fed Louis XIV's seat a diet of steroids and self-importance. One could almost hear it groan under the weight of D'Artagnan's monumental ego. And the water. Not just any water, mind you, but an elixir so precious that it had once known the touch of Swiss mountain goats. Surely, D'Artagnan would argue, their tears are the epitome of purity, uncontaminated by the corrupted soil of democracy that had once dared to unseat him. Each sip was a silent oath to rectify the past, a liquid vendetta to reclaim his ordained status. Now let's turn our attention to the room's other inhabitants, a motley crew of societal rejects and opportunist social climbers. Madame Zinnia, the queen of scented sanitation, sat draped in a gown that looked like the love child of a peacock and a disco ball. Her how-to-be-wicked app was a modern grimoire, a 21st-century manual for Machiavellian machinations. You see, her perfumed toilet paper was not just a novelty. It was a metaphor for her life's work, masking the stench of moral decay with the fragrance of superficial charm. Walter, on the other hand, was a paradox, a mime who found his voice but lost his way. His trust fund was a safety net woven with golden threads of privilege, yet it couldn't catch the emptiness that engulfed him. He sat there, contemplating the absurdity of it all, his face painted with existential doubt rather than the usual white grease paint. So, what's the grand plan, Dart? Zinnia asked, swiping through her how-to-be-wicked app on a phone encrusted with Swarovski crystals. D'Artagnan grinned, flashing teeth whiter than a snowflake's dream. We shall launch a fashion line. Oh, de defeat! Its fragrance will be so irresistible, people will have no choice but to vote for me in the next election. But what about the legality of it all, Walter squeaked, breaking his silent oath for the umpteenth time. Legalities are but pesky gnats to be swatted away, D'Artagnan retorted. As D'Artagnan unveiled blueprints resembling a cologne bottle designed by Salvador Dali on an acid trip, Walter began to think, what were they really doing? In their quest for twisted glory, had they lost their moral compass, assuming they had one to begin with? It was at that precise moment that a gust of wind, originating from the flapping wings of an endangered Floridian flamingo, swept through the room, toppling the blueprints.
They all looked at the scattered papers, and then at each other, sensing a disruption in the moral fabric of the universe. Maybe we're going about this all wrong, Walter mused. Have you considered community service or philanthropy? D'Artagnan guffawed. Altruism? Next, you'll suggest I run on a platform of honesty and integrity. But Walter's words had struck a curious chord. Why not win favor through goodwill rather than deception? D'Artagnan pondered, stroking his chin in an attempt to look wise, but only succeeding in resembling an inebriated philosopher. Weeks later, a new brand was launched, Eau de Compassion. Its scent was reminiscent of fresh air and humility, with a dash of civility. Things rarely sniffed in political arenas, and as for D'Artagnan and his band of improbable co-conspirators, they found themselves in the absurd yet strangely satisfying situation of being sincerely liked. The perfume, Eau de Compassion, had become a veritable Pandora's bottle, uncorking the suppressed truths from the depths of their souls. Imagine a fragrance so potent that it morphed into a liquid confessional booth, compelling all within its reach to spill their proverbial beans. D'Artagnan's estate now looked like a crime scene of candor, with empty perfume bottles strewn about like spent shells from a truth-telling cannon. And oh, the casualties! Madame Zinnia's revelation at the gala shattered the room's façade of pretense. One could almost hear the collective gasps, each one a note in a symphony of social horror. Her perfumed toilet paper empire stood exposed, as flimsy as the single-ply tissue she had so artfully disguised. Walter's spontaneous dance routine, a performance so baffling it could have been choreographed by a caffeinated squirrel, was nothing short of a kinetic confession. The audience stared in confused wonderment, as if watching a duck attempt Swan Lake, the Macarena, a dance already teetering on the brink of absurdity, now infused with a dose of nihilism that would make Jean-Paul Sartre tap his foot. But let's not forget D'Artagnan's Watergate, a revelation so shocking that it was akin to a pope declaring his allegiance to atheism. Truth be told, D'Artagnan declared, his voice tinged with a sincerity as rare as a snowflake in the Sahara. I've never actually won anything without cheating. Every victory, every triumph has been rigged in my favor. I'm not the genius I portray. I'm merely a puppeteer of my own narrative. A collective gasp reverberated through the room. D'Artagnan, the man who had built an empire on the perception of his unparalleled cunning and genius, a mere charlatan. In that opulent cavern of schemes where our trio found themselves mired in existential quicksand, D'Artagnan, normally as reflective as a block of granite, appeared almost pensive, his forehead furrowed like a freshly ploughed field of doubts. Madame Zinnia, on the other hand, appeared as if she had just swallowed a piece of her own perfumed toilet paper, bitter and fragrant. And Walter, well, he was still vibrating from his interpretive dance, a human tuning fork set to the frequency of regret. 
Madame Zinnia's epiphany was as enlightening as a sunrise on a foggy morning. Virtue, it seems, defies commodification, refusing to be bottled, tagged, and sold like a trinket at a tourist trap. Ah, the irony! In their quest to package goodness, they had unpacked a suitcase full of inconvenient truths. The subsequent discontinuation of Eau de Compassion was not just a business decision. It was a rite of passage, a shedding of old skins drenched in the stench of duplicity. As they sat there, contemplating their newfound moral clarity, one could almost smell the fragrance of authenticity wafting through the air, sweeter than any perfume and more elusive than a politician's promise. Our unholy trio finds themselves in a veritable quagmire of moral and legal swampiness, flanked by legal eagles who've swapped their traditional prey for litigious morsels. These raptors of the courtroom circle D'Artagnan's mini-Versailles as if it were an open-air buffet of malfeasance. Madame Zinnia, Walter and D'Artagnan meet in a room that reeks of opulence and impending doom. The chandeliers droop like wilting daffodils, mourning the passing of a brighter era. Ah, the stench of the situation could not be masked by even the most potent febrise, nor could it be camouflaged by Zinnia's perfumed toilet paper. Options were on the table, much like hors d'oeuvres at a wake, to be picked at but not savoured. Walter's suggestion of using mime skills for invisibility was met with D'Artagnan's dismissive hiss, as if he were swatting away a particularly annoying fly of naivety. D'Artagnan's worldly wisdom, mind you, was about as reliable as a compass at the Bermuda Triangle, always pointing toward his own interests, but leading everyone else astray. Ah! But then the air changed, as if someone had uncorked a bottle of existential crisis. Mixed with a dash of daring, a fragrance filled the room. This was no eau de toilette, it was an eau de transformation. Madame Zinnia proposed a course so radical that it might just be their salvation or damnation, the revelation of the toxicity of blind allegiance, a public unmasking, if you will, but this time not to reveal a superhero's secret identity, but to expose the villains we all are or could become when led astray by charisma and false promises. The room fell silent, as if it had suddenly entered a vacuum devoid of ego and self-interest. Even D'Artagnan, whose voice usually carried the subtlety of a foghorn, spoke with the softness of a disillusioned lullaby singer. Ah, the audacity of hope. Or is it the hope of audacity? Walter's eyes twinkled like stars in a night sky, polluted by the light of too many broken dreams. He was ready for his magnum opus of mime, a routine that promised to be as enigmatic as it was ethical. But just when they were on the cusp of potential redemption, in slid an envelope as mysterious as a spy's wink. D'Artagnan, the man of many plans but even more blunders, broke the seal to find a message that sent shivers down their spines. 
Ah, the real puppet master. Who might this elusive figure be? The one pulling at the sinews of their moral fibre, tangling them in a web of enigma. The question looms large, enveloping our trio like a shroud. Do they dare cut the strings and tumble into the abyss of truth? Or do they dance to the tune of an unknown puppeteer? Ah, dear readers, the cauldron of this tale continues to bubble, each bubble bursting with a question yet unanswered, a moral yet unlearned. So as our characters stand at the precipice of choice, we too wait with bated breath, inhaling the rich aroma of a story that promises to be as complex as a vintage wine and as revealing as a backlit silhouette. What will they do? The intrigue escalates like a souffle in an over-enthusiastic oven. When last we left our dilettantes, a cryptic message had wormed its way into their lair, unsettling them more than a vegan at a steakhouse. Walter, ever the artistic soul, was the first to venture a suggestion. We could answer this nebulous puppet master through interpretive dance or... No! D'Artagnan interrupted. This calls for something grander. More elaborate. A tweet storm, Madame Zinnia proposed, thumb hovering over her Swarovski-encrusted device. An opera, D'Artagnan declared, as though the word itself were a divine pronouncement, one part muse, two parts madness. The room burst into a cacophony that would have deafened Mozart. An opera! None of us can sing, and I can barely speak, Walter exclaimed, momentarily forgetting his former vow of silence. Ah, but that's the beauty of it, D'Artagnan retorted. It will be so avant-garde that any note we hit or miss becomes part of the narrative. Our dissonance will be our art. Thus began the ludicrous yet oddly fitting endeavour of composing an opera as a secret message to their anonymous patrons. D'Artagnan, armed with a thesaurus and an inflated sense of his lyrical abilities penned, the libretto. It was a tale of betrayal, redemption, and scented toilet paper, an allegorical smorgasbord bursting with thinly veiled references and metaphors fatter than a Christmas turkey. D'Artagnan delved into it with the enthusiasm of a squirrel, discovering a trove of truffles. His tale was a labyrinth of allegories, a roller coaster of emotional highs and lows that would leave its audience either enlightened or thoroughly confused, perhaps both. Madame Zinnia, who had once elevated bathroom hygiene to aromatic artistry, now turned her gaze to the sartorial. Imagine, if you will, costumes so outrageous they'd make a Mardi Gras parade. Looked like a convent gathering. Sequins and feathers were to be the text and the subtext, an unspoken dialogue about the excesses of vanity and the emptiness of spectacle. Walter's set design, meanwhile, was a paradox, a visual oxymoron, an invisible stage to match their equally transparent lives. Oh, the irony could cut glass. And so... Like artists before a grand unveiling, or perhaps more like inmates before a prison break, 
They gathered around their magnum opus, each wondering if they had just authored their own salvation or damnation. But ah, what's this? Another epistle from the shadowy puppet master, a note that slid into the room with the subtlety of a snake entering a mouse's burrow. The mysterious overseer seemed almost pleased, yet ominously claimed the right to compose the finale. One can imagine our trio's collective gulp echoing in the cavernous opulence of their lair. A gulp that swallowed their audacity and replaced it with dread. Weeks passed in a haze of artistic frenzy and occasional existential despair. Sheet music piled up like unpaid bills, sequins scattered across floors like the shattered dreams of aspiring reality TV stars. And D'Artagnan, in a moment of reckless abandon, even attempted to conduct a stray cat that had wandered into their lair. Finally, the night before the grand performance, they gathered around their masterpiece, each holding a part of the manuscript like apostles clutching at sacred texts. Are we really going through with this? Zinnia queried, her voice tinged with a melodramatic quiver, worthy of a soap opera cliffhanger. D'Artagnan grinned, a oh, we're past the point of no return. Just then, another mysterious envelope skidded across the floor, stopping at D'Artagnan's feet. He picked it up, unfolded the note, and read aloud, looking forward to the opening act. But remember, the finale is mine to compose. Ah, dear audience, the stage is set, the notes are tuned, and the drama thickens like a plot stew simmering on the hearth of anticipation. But who, pray tell, is this unseen composer of their fates lurking in the wings? And what aria of destiny waits to be sung? Behold the grand finale, where the overture of absurdity crescendos into a rhapsody of revelations, more convoluted than a philosopher explaining a dad joke. The opera house was filled to the brim, a cacophony of society's most bewildering mix. Conspiracy theorists sitting beside opera aficionados, high-ranking diplomats sharing binoculars with TikTok influencers and self-important non-entities from the House of Representatives. Our trio stood backstage, each shrouded in costumes so extravagant they made Mardi Gras look like casual Friday. As the curtain rose, D'Artagnan, in a rhinestone-encrusted codpiece and feathered headdress, sang his heart out, missing notes like a marksman blindfolded and spun in circles misses the side of a barn. Madame Zinnia followed suit, adorned in a gown made entirely of reversible sequins and repurposed tinfoil, her voice a cocktail of trills and squawks. Walter, in a bodysuit speckled with motion-activated LEDs, mimed his way through an emotional roller coaster, his every gesture louder than any voice could ever be. Their opera, titled The Pernicious Perfumery of Power, unfolded in three acts. The audience clung to their seats, not out of suspense, but mostly confusion. D'Artagnan's piercing high notes collided with low-brow innuendos. Walter's mimed subplot 
hinted at social collapse, but looked more like a man juggling invisible watermelons. And Madame Xenia, she floated across the stage like a glamorous jellyfish caught in an existential current. When the curtain fell, the audience erupted, not in applause, but in a symphony of bewilderment that transcended language barriers. The media declared it an enigma wrapped in a riddle, lightly seasoned with lunacy. The opera was a colossal failure as art, but a wild success as a public spectacle, much like a car crash with clowns. As for the secret message, meant for their shadowy patrons, entirely misconstrued, the patrons interpreted the dissonant chorus in Act Two as a call for investing in llama farms, sparking an unexpected llama boom in the global economy. But wait, there's a twist, a denouement so shocking it would make even a daytime soap opera blush. Back at their flamboyant lair, a knock echoed through the chambers. D'Artagnan cautiously opened the door to reveal a young man. Darren, the youngest and hitherto inconspicuous son of the defeated ruler, was here the elusive puppet master, pulling at the strings even as his own were being snippered by the shears of family drama. You've all been puppets in my plan. Darren confessed with the solemnity of a cat revealing it knocked over the vase. I've been manipulating my father for years, and you were my masterstroke. Your opera, a stroke of genius, the ultimate distraction. You mean this was all part of your design? Zinnia gasped, flabbergasted. Design? Ha! More like divine comedy, the young Darren quipped. But I think it's time for you to disappear. But where? Walter mimed gesturing towards an invisible box of possibilities. Let's just say, a place where even bad operas are appreciated. Not Congress, exclaimed D'Artagnan. Congress? Ha! That's for amateurs. Darren scoffed, waving his hand as if swatting away a particularly bothersome fly. I have something far more poetic for you, father. A wall slid open revealing a room filled with artisanal mineral water, each bottle labelled with D'Artagnan's smug visage. Your prized Swiss mountain goatiers, or so you claimed, but you will sip no more. You will be sentenced to a life, nay, an eternity, of drinking tap water. D'Artagnan's face blanched, paler than a ghost who'd seen its own reflection. Tap water. The very liquid he had publicly scorned. He would be a laughing stock, his brand decimated, his empire crumbled. His eyes met those of Darren, and in that moment, he knew he had met his match. And Darren smiled malevolently. Oh, and one more thing your estate will now be converted into a public park, a sanctuary for endangered Floridian flamingos, and your amassed wealth. It will fund scholarships for ethics and integrity in public service. D'Artagnan visibly blanched, his face a canvas of terror and disbelief. Ethics, integrity, the very antitheses of his life's work. His ill-gained fortune rerouted to nurture the virtues he had so blatantly scorned. Oh, the irony was as thick as molasses in January. Darren gloated, the final nail hammered into the coffin of D'Artagnan's farcical empire. 
you will be left with nothing but the shattered pieces of your counterfeit victories. D'Artagnan let out a wail so melodramatic it could have been the climax of an opera, a true finale to his vainglorious rhapsody, his empire, his social standing, his very identity, all gone, evaporated like a puddle under the merciless Florida sun. He was dethroned, disgraced and defeated, left to sip the plainest of waters while his gilded empire became a paradise for flamingos. The puppet master, it turns out, was not just pulling strings, but unraveling them one by one, until all that was left was a tangle of lost ambitions and shattered illusions. So, my dear friends, as we sweep up the remnants of this shattered farce, let us sip the elixir of its lesson. Life in all its chaotic splendor rarely dances to the tune we hum. We may pen the libretto, sew the costumes, even compose the arias, but fate, ah, she is the ultimate conductor, her baton swaying to rhythms we scarcely comprehend. Until the quill once again dances across the parchment of another tale, I bid you a single final adieu. May your lives be as vivid as a darting and spectacle, but your choices far wiser. <laughs>